It's April 10th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. I've got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First, the mega drought out in the western United States is a lot less severe this morning. We're going to talk about the record snow levels in the states of California, Arizona, and Utah, plus why all of that matters to you no matter where you live. Second, kids in Hawaii are suing the state there over climate change. They claim that by building or repairing roads, well, that is unconstitutional to their rights of good health and a clean environment. And, well, a judge just agreed with them. Third, a poll of Americans on what you all think about China, plus whether the White House is up to the task of taking on the Communist Party. Finally, we shift gears to international affairs to talk about China. The president of France said something pretty shocking on Sunday about China after his recent visit to the country. I'll tell you about that, plus why you should care. Later, we close out the right report with a new segment here on the podcast called The Weekend Roundup. It's all about quick updates on previous briefs that came in over the weekend. And today we've got one about Mexico and the other is about those leaked top secret documents from the U.S. Pentagon. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. Some good news to report from out west. The mega drought affecting tens of millions of people in the western United States. That is looking much better this morning. But before we talk about that good news, let's talk about why we should care about, well, the weather out west. And we'll start with something that you might not know. If you go to a grocery store in the U.S. and you buy fruit, Odds are that you are looking at something grown in California. About 75% of the fruits and nuts sold in the U.S. are from the Golden State. That is according to the California Department of Food and Agriculture. Plus, around 20% of the nation's dairy products and about 35% of the vegetables that we eat also come from California. Meanwhile, the state of Arizona, they're not much of a slouch either in the ag department. They come in at third place of all the states in the union that grow the most vegetables. But all of that domestic food supply, plus 22 billion worth of food that we actually ship abroad, that has been put at growing risk over this mega drought that hit the Western United States over the past 20 years. And when I say mega drought, this is what I mean. A team of researchers studied how bad this current drought is historically by looking at tree rings to peer back in time. And according to a report in the Academic Journal of Science, this current drought, which started in the year 2000, is the second worst drought on record since the late 800s. And not the 1800s, I mean the 800s, over 1,200 years ago. But we have got some good news regardless. This winter has been an absolute gusher for snow and rain, and I mean virtually everywhere out west. So let's start in California, where the snowpack is breaking century-old records this morning. For instance, in the Lake Tahoe area, the California Department of Water Resources measured 126.5 inches of snow there. That's the deepest since hand measurements were first carried out more than 100 years ago. 
statewide in California, by the way, we're seeing the same thing. The snowpack currently sits at about 237% of normal for this date, challenging records from the state back all the way to the 1950s. In fact, snow and moisture levels are so high in California that state and agricultural officials are now worried about flooding to include filling up something called the Tulare Lake, which was drained decades ago and turned into a very productive set of farm ground. But much of that now sits under several feet of water. All right, moving west from California and the Sierra Nevadas to, well, Colorado River and that basin where we have more good news. The snowpack there is the deepest since at least 1997 or possibly 1980, depending on the measurement. It's sitting at about 150% of average in just the upper Colorado River Basin. So that means by the time that that snow and water reaches the critical reservoirs of Lake Powell and Lake Mead, we are going to see a significant boost. Lake Mead, for example, is now projected to rise by 20 to 30 feet. Better yet, some California users of the Colorado River are reporting that they're actually willing to give up some of their water allotments this year from the Colorado because of the abundant snowpack in the Sierras that we just talked about. That, by the way, is according to reports from the Los Angeles Times. And if so, by the way, that'll raise reservoirs like Lake Havasu and Lake Mead even more, which, of course, is a blessing because Lake Mead not long ago actually hit its lowest levels ever since first being filled down to around about 30% full. So with that, we leave Arizona and the Colorado River Basin and we head to Salt Lake City, where officials there are saying that the snowpack has delivered a miracle. And that's because just three months ago, researchers at Brigham Young University said that the Great Salt Lake was set to disappear within five years without dramatic conservation efforts. Well, those predictions have been proven wrong. The lake has, in fact, risen three feet in just five months, with more to come. Utah's total moisture in their snowpack is now at a record 30 inches, beating the old record set back in 1952. That is, by the way, according to reports from CBS News in Salt Lake City. So all in all, some very good news for folks living out west, and honestly, folks around the world who buy all those agricultural products. Now, to be fair and to be candid here, it is true that the mega drought is still technically with us. One good year does not make up for 20 bad ones, but still, we'll take it. Meanwhile, I will keep an eye on that potential flooding risk because depending on its severity, it'll impact the planting and harvesting seasons, which means it'll likely impact your grocery bill. More to come. Speaking of weather, I've got some news out of Hawaii this morning. A judge in Honolulu just agreed to let 14 kids sue the state because political leaders there are not apparently doing enough to stop climate change. So specifically, the kids want the state to abandon plans to either build or maintain roads and highways. And as crazy as that might sound, listen to this. A judge just agreed that their lawsuit had merit and should continue. So here are those details as recorded by Reuters News Service. Late last week, Judge Jeffrey Crabtree in Honolulu ruled that 14 kids, aged 9 to 18, had grounds to sue the Hawaii Department of Transportation. And that is because, as the kids allege, the state is shirking in its duty to protect the environment by promoting and funding highway projects. 
And that, the kids say, is leading to more fuel consumption and greenhouse gas emissions. And that's uh, naughty because according to the state constitution, kids have a right to a clean and healthful environment. So Judge Crabtree listened to those arguments and agreed. Quote, transportation emissions are increasing and will increase at the rate we are going. In other words, the alleged harms are not hypothetical or only in the distant future, end quote. And that means that the case will move forward to trial next September. For what it's worth, there's also another similar trial of kids suing to stop roads, with this one actually in Montana. That trial starts in June. And by the way, just like in Montana, it's not actually kids who are suing. It's two leftist organizations called Our Children's Trust and Earth Justice, who got the parents of the kids to agree to be used in this effort. One last thing that I probably should mention if I might now switch away from facts and data to my analysis and opinion. The kids and those organizations, well, if they were serious, they would sue not Hawaii or Montana, they would sue China. According to the BBC and a report from the Rhodium Group, the country of China emits more carbon dioxide than all other developed nations combined. All right, so in other words, China pumps out more CO2 in a single year than the following nations combined. The United States, India, the European Union, Indonesia, Russia, Brazil, and Japan. So maybe the kids will take a flight to Beijing, you know, sue somebody over there. Let's see how that one works out. Meanwhile, good luck if you are in Montana, getting across that state without roads. At least in Hawaii, you can use a canoe to get around the islands or ride a whale. And speaking of China and their terrible ways, let me ask you a question. What do you think about the communists in Beijing? And do you think that America's Joe Biden can stand up to them? Well, if you don't like the government of China or Mr. Biden's ability to respond to them, well, you're not alone. According to a poll out late Friday from the Pew Research Center, an overwhelming majority of Americans, 82%, said that they have an unfavorable opinion of China. That is up, by the way, from 76% last year. But if you're like most other Americans, according to this poll anyway, you don't think that Joe Biden is up to the task to hold them to account. 65% of Americans say that they are not confident that Mr. Biden can deal effectively with China. So I bring this up, folks, because I want for you to put these data points in the back of your mind for the rest of this week's Right Report. We're going to be talking more about China and how there is a profound disconnect between these polling numbers of what you all feel and want versus what our corporate and political leaders are actually doing. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. Now, most of you likely won't hear any ads over the next couple of minutes. We've got another week or two of an ad-free experience. So stretch those legs, sip on that cup of coffee and juice, and we will be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our news this morning by switching gears from domestic affairs to events from around the world. And this morning, we're going to be talking about how we are living through an incredible moment of world history. We actually have an example of it to a recently concluded set of meetings between the president of France and the president of China. Now, I know what you might be thinking. 
Uh, meetings between politicians. Well, that sounds boring. Boo, boo. Well, this news, folks, isn't just about some stuffy series of meetings between politicians. As a former CIA officer, I'm going to help you understand how it's about something far more important. It's about the transition, folks, of America being the world's only superpower to other countries taking that power for themselves, especially China. On The Right Report, I am going to focus on that global fight for supremacy and influence, and I'm going to call it Cold War II, because just like the first Cold War between the U.S. and the Soviet Union, there is a worldwide battle for dominance, and it's not going to be pretty. But it will permanently shape your lives, even if right now you don't see it or feel it. Okay, with that, let's talk about our first news of this Cold War II series. And it all starts with the French. And that's because the president of France, a fellow named Emmanuel Macron, was in China for the past five days or so, meeting with that country's president, a man named President Xi. Well, Mr. Macron went to that country with three goals, according to CBS News analysis and that of my own. Namely, he went to first sign some trade deals. And in fact, he signed over two dozen of those trade deals from airplanes to cosmetics. Second, they talked about climate change, which, as I noted before the break, China is largely responsible for if you believe that it is both real and that carbon dioxide emissions are driving it. And finally, they talked about the future of relations between Europe and China. Now, that is the Cold War II stuff. But notice that I said Europe and China, not just France and China. And that's because France's president was joined on his trip with the president of the European Commission, or EC, which, to sort of put it very, very simply, oversees the European continent by passing laws and then enforcing them across member states. It's sort of like a European government, more or less. Now, before the trip happened, most people hoped that France and the EC would be firmly on America's side in this Cold War II battle. And that is because the EC's president actually said some pretty strong and good stuff about Beijing before the two left, such as the following. Quote, the Chinese Communist Party's goal is clear, a systemic change of the international order with China at its new center, end quote. Well, okay. China is trying to build a new world order and the rest of us, especially in America and Europe, aren't in it. That's effectively what she said. Okay, well, that sounds like the presidents of France and the EC are going to come down hard on Beijing during this trip, right? <laughs> right? No, that is uh, not what happened. In fact, the opposite happened. In reports released yesterday to the magazine Politico, Mr. Macron said that the most important thing to do in this Cold War II is to avoid choosing sides. He called it strategic autonomy. Quote, strategic autonomy must be the battle cry of Europe, because if tensions between the two superpowers heat up, we won't have the time or the resources to become strategically autonomous. We will become vassals of one of the two nations, end quote. So what does the phrase strategic autonomy actually mean? Well, he said that it means, to borrow a phrase, make Europe 
great again. Europe should put Europe first, he said, to have its own defense industry, its own computer chip factories, its own renewable energy sector. And boy, oh boy, listen to this next part. He wants to make sure that he and the rest of Europe have the ability to ditch the U.S. dollar for global commerce. I'm going to talk about that probably more tomorrow or Wednesday. Okay, so look, he wants to make Europe great again or to be neutral and independent. Well, that's fine, except that in Cold War II, America really needs our European partners to be with us. Because if we don't have Europe, who do we have? We're sort of alone. No offense to Canada. So those are the facts this morning with this latest out of China. So what's going on here? What is France doing? And why are they giving us this squishy flip-flopping stuff? Let me pivot from facts and data to my analysis and opinion, leveraging my years of working at the CIA. But before we get into this, maybe we should just take a deep breath over all this complexity. Because we've got China and the communists and France and trying to pronounce that guy's name, Macron, without sounding like we got something in our sinuses. But seriously, it's important, I think, to just pause for a moment, take a step back and look at history. In the late 1990s, there was this really big idea that the, the fancy people and governments all around the world had about China. So these Western leaders said that, look, we need to bring Beijing closer into our economic and political lives. And the best way to do that is let them into something called the World Trade Organization, or WTO. So that meant, effectively, no more tariffs or quotas and all those cheap Chinese goods. And what will happen, these smart people said in government, is that China will become richer, their economy more developed. And with all that trade, they'll be exposed to the Western way of life, uh, democracy and freedom and liberty. Those communists and those leaders, oh boy, they will finally ditch that socialist dogma and join the West. That's what the fancy people said. Plus, these Western leaders realized, look, the likelihood of war with Beijing will drop to virtually zero because our economies, all being intertwined, ah, there's never going to be any sort of crazy war over, say, Taiwan. We'll just work out our problems with diplomacy. Otherwise, too much money would be lost. Of course, diplomacy will win out. And speaking of that mention of money, my goodness, Western companies are going to make a whole bunch of money once we let China into the WTO. And that's because those Chinese people and their labor are really, really cheap. So we in America and the West are going to ship our factories and our jobs to China. And they're going to ship us back some very cheap goods in exchange. So that was the argument back in the late 1990s. And that argument won the day. In the year 2000, then-President Bill Clinton and mostly Republicans in the Senate and House gave that legislation thumbs up to let China into the WTO. And the deal, folks, was done. Well, it has been 23 years since then. How's the deal gone? Is China a democracy? Do they play by the rules? Is the threat of war gone, especially over Taiwan? And how about the shipping of jobs and factories to China? How'd that go? Well, look, reasonable people, I think, can disagree here. But in my experiences as a CIA officer who worked this issue and this target for years, I'll tell you what I saw. All right. I saw 
disaster, absolute disaster across the board on every one of those goals, right? China is not a democracy. It is now a dictatorship. President Xi of China is more powerful than anyone since Chairman Mao in the 1970s. And the prospect of war, well, that has never been greater. According to the U.S. Pentagon and the CIA, President Xi has instructed his military to be ready by the year 2027 to take back Taiwan by force. And by all estimates, folks, they are whipping us on key technologies to do just that. And what about the global economy? What happened there? Well, as it turns out, we didn't just let China into the world trade organization. China took over world trade. The data show very, very clearly that China is now the factory for the world, and they control critical supply chains for countless products and industries. We saw that very painfully during the COVID pandemic. You probably recall when we couldn't get products like antibiotics, or they were in short supply, driving up inflation. All right, so all of that takes us to the trip that France and the European Commission just completed. Okay, so what is Macron up to? He knows all of this. Well, the best case scenario, knowing that he knows about that history over the past 20 plus years, is that he is doubling down on a broken policy. He thinks perhaps that maybe, just maybe, we need to give Beijing just a bit more time. 23 years isn't enough. Maybe just a few more years and they'll eventually come around to democracy and the rule of law and avoidance of war. We just need more trade. And that's why he went after those 24-plus trade agreements. But guess what? Mr. Macron is not stupid. So here's what I saw as an intel officer when I looked at this. He and his businesses want access to China's market and the money that comes with it. In other words, folks, greed, profit. And yet, at the same time that he's demanding neutrality in Europe and to not pick America in this Cold War II... He still needs you, the American taxpayer, specifically to fund his national defense through organizations like NATO, which have to defend him in the event he's invaded. Or he wants you to rush into European wars when he asks you to, like the war in Ukraine at $113 billion and counting. Just uh, don't ask for anything in exchange. And that's the first tough lesson of this Cold War II journey of ours. It is going to be exceptionally hard to pull people and countries away from China's economy and their money, including our longtime allies like France. And if we're going to be fair, even some of our own American corporations too, from Ford to Tesla and Apple. So the question is, can we do it? Can we successfully pull these entities out of China? In other words, do we have the presidential leadership to do it, like a, a Jack Kennedy or a Ronald Reagan? Well, according to that Pew Research poll that I mentioned earlier, most of you don't think that we have the right leader in the current White House to do it. Well, that aside, ready or not, here we go. We're about to find out. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. So enjoy this next break, which will probably be ad-free for you. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. Today, I'm beginning a new segment that will run each Monday morning that I call The Weekend Roundup. 
So the idea is to catch you up on quick developments from Friday or over the weekend on news that I have briefed you on previously, little nuggets of updates. So let's get to our first weekend roundup. We start with those leaked intelligence documents out of the United States Pentagon that I told you about on Friday. So to refresh our memories, I spoke with you about top secret documents that were leaking onto social media platforms that say two very important things about the war in Ukraine. First, that there will be a spring offensive by the Ukrainians against the Russians, in fact, just in a couple of weeks. And that second, Ukrainian forces are not as strong as we have been led to believe by the U.S. and other Western powers. All right, and now for the update. So those documents, folks, as it turns out, covered a whole lot more than just the latest secrets out of Ukraine. They also confirmed that America is spying on the governments of South Korea and Israel, too. So here's the latest coming out from multiple press outlets around the world, including the BBC, Jerusalem Post, CNN, and Washington Post. So first, the documents make clear that we apparently listened to a phone conversation between two senior South Korean officials about whether they intended to give Ukraine and the United States ammunition for the war in Europe. Second, the documents suggest that recent protests in Israel were not about, well, the judicial reform as advertised, but rather they were encouraged by the Israeli spy service, Mossad, which is like our CIA. And they directed those protests towards the sitting prime minister named Benjamin Netanyahu. So for what it's worth, there's been a mixed reaction to this news. The South Koreans are promising to um, have a diplomatic exchange with Washington, D.C. to learn more. And Israel, well, they are denying that their spy service is up to any uh, deep state shenanigans. I'll keep you posted on this one because, folks, I'll tell you from everything I'm hearing from my friends, this leak is absolutely massive and it is going to get very ugly compromising our secret sources and methods and most especially compromising our relationships abroad. And those folks are getting damaged right as we are trying to get support for a major launch of military operations in Ukraine. Hmm, interesting timing. All right, let's get to our second and final bit of roundup news. Last Wednesday, I told you about how Mexico was feeling some heat about drugs. So to refresh our memories here, U.S. lawmakers have been threatening to send down U.S. troops to Mexico to bust up the cartels and their drug labs. Labs, of course, that are making the drug fentanyl. The Mexican president is not happy about that, and he denied that fentanyl was even being produced in his country. But then he said, "Okay, well, maybe there is some, but it's actually China that's sending the chemicals to make the fentanyl. So he announced last week that he was going to send a letter to Beijing saying, well, to paraphrase, hey, can you guys confirm that your people are sending us those chemicals illegally and maybe uh, help us stop it? Well, China wrote back to the Mexicans late last week and they said, we have no idea what you're talking about. You must have the wrong number. Hang up and try your call again. Okay, they didn't say that exactly. According to the Reuters news folks, they said, quote, There is no such thing as illegal trafficking of fentanyl between China and Mexico. Rather, the U.S. needs to face up to its own problems and take more substantive measures to strengthen regulation within its borders and reduce demand. 
end quote. So there you have it. China does what China always does, at least in my experience. They deny, deny, and deny some more. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, let me leave you with the words that inspire me and this podcast. They're the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.